Welcome to the Sales Talent Podcast. My name is Paul Owen, and each episode in this series, I welcome an expert to the show and ask them to share their experience in growing businesses with, with a particular focus on the sales function in a business, uh, as well as giving some useful insights. I hope we can entertain you, educate you. And joining me this week to educate and entertain with me is uh, Michael Tobin, OB. Welcome, Mike. How are you doing? You well? I'm very well, thanks. You? Fantastic. I'm great. I'm great. Always great. <laughs> well, I know we've already chatted pre-recording, so I know you're at home, but uh, uh, I get the impression from your uh, activities, you're often away, but you're not, not traveling any part of the world, doing a, a um, polar actually, mission. I, I mean, uh, we, <laughs> we, we had a, a, a culinary tour of, of the UK last week. We decided to go on a, a, a tour around the UK to Michelin restaurants, um, sampling somewhere. So I'm recovering from that. Off to Paris uh, on Wednesday for, for business. But yeah, starting to get back in the swing of travel again. Good. It's good to be back, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, so for those, those listeners who, who don't already know about, about you, Mike, forgive my, the brevity of my introduction, but to remind them uh, that as chief exec, um, you led Telecity Group, PLC, uh, leading FTSE 250 tech company from uh, early 2000s to 2014. Um, yeah, that's right. huge growth. I know it didn't start as that. It started as one thing and became others and uh, took it off the market, put it back on the market and took it to just over 1.6 billion. Uh, market cap, I understand. And these days, uh, apart from the Michelin starred tours, you're an active entrepreneur, investor, advisor, and philanthropist. And that's a big part of what you do, the particular focus on, on children's charities. Mm -hmm. uh, and your OBE was awarded in 2014 for services to the digital uh, economy. Um, so the focus of this, Mike, as you know from uh, chatting before, is looking at three areas, actually three focus areas that you suggested to me, which um, I, I, I took. And a rule I was taught years ago is once you copy somebody's idea after the third time, it becomes your own. So it's obviously, as this is the third episode, it's obviously now my idea. So we're going to look at uh, selling well, what you called getting to yes, if I remember rightly. We're going to look at motivation. Um, I've read enough about you and heard enough about you to know that's a, a big part for you with some different ideas, in particular around motivation, and also on, on leadership. And we'll just, I'll fire questions around those three things and we'll go off in a different direction. Um, so if I can start with selling. I think each of my first questions, Mike, is, is, is quite a basic one, but I think it's an important one to start with, is when you're looking to, to grow a company, how important is the sales function and the sales teams within the company? Uh, um, well, actually, I, I do think that, you know, obviously bigger companies have specific sales. When you start um, and you have smaller businesses, pretty much everyone should be a salesman anyway. Um, if, you, if you kind of, if we sort of park the word sales for a second what you're doing is you're you're trying to um enable trust between you and your counterparty and let's not call them a customer at the moment right let's just say whoever you're talking to um is a counterparty and a lot of you know a, a lot of the deals that i've done in my life have been have, have arisen from conversations i've had with people five six seven years before that and nothing ever came of it at that point but you engage and you converse and you communicate and you build a, you know some sort of relationship and hopefully their trust starts to build there could be a couple of things hey you know just go for a beer or do this and, and eventually um out of those conversations suddenly an opportunity happens and you know we shouldn't be kind of constantly in what we think of sales mode um because if if you can think think of trust as like a VPN, right? So there's all this mistrust out in the world, and and, and you can connect with your your counterparty, your colleague, friend, 
um, and, and you create a VPN between you and, and that's the VPN of trust. Then anything, you can put anything down there and that will be received in the context of, well, this must be good for me. Otherwise, this person that I trust wouldn't be suggesting it to me, mm. right? And therefore, you know, once you align that VPN of trust with an understanding of the need at the other end, and ha-ha, I've got something that can fulfill that mm. need, then there is no sale required. It's like, an, oh, my goodness, you're trying to help me. Thank you so much, right? So it's, it's, it's getting to that point where people are, are so appreciative of your help that it's not a sale. Yeah, I think that where you started with that um, point, I think affects a lot of smaller companies, right? And so sometimes I work with SMEs, and a lot of the work I do now is helping them to grow through selling. And it's you know, first of all, talking about what is sales, and, and sales to me is is helping people make good buying decisions. And how do you help them? You get to know them, you understand them, and then you say, "Well, can't help you now," and so on. But do you think that element of that misunderstanding around selling being pushing something on to somebody rather than how you described it? sometimes leads SMEs to not do any selling at all because they associate it with some activity that, that is, I don't know, a little unsavory. Well, I, I think that it's it's possibly, in a way, the, the kind of opposite because of that. And I think what happens is that uh, small companies come up with the, with the kind of founder or the CEO becoming, becoming the super salesperson, right? He's, you know, the guy with the vision, he's, he's out there. And he's also the person that knows that if he doesn't get if you don't get a sale, you don't get revenue, then you can't pay the bills and you don't make profit. All right. So, so it all starts with that, you know, transaction. So he's out there with that in his mind, probably overly in his mind saying, you know, I've, I've got to make this sale. Cause if I don't do that, then every other consequence in the business, because it's that small depends on this. So I find that very often um, the smaller businesses are too pushy because that, you know, that, the binary nature of each transaction is so much greater to their to their success or failure mm. right and so so you end up with sort of you know you've got a for the first time a small business has a big deal on the plate they go crazy trying to close it whereas um it may not be the the optimum or ideal deal for them but they'll go overboard trying to get it and, mm. and I think that's only natural it's it's you know we're all we're all kind of human to the sense that you know that we're, we're driven by greed or failure uh, greed or fear sorry of, of, of failure and and so you know the fear is oh i'm not going to be able to pay my my staff or the greed is oh i can get more money out of so all of it is driven in this sort of yes i must get this deal done i must get this deal done but sometimes um that's not that's not the best thing and and having having more sort of broad conversations with people and telling stories rather than selling products, I mm. think, is a is a more valuable thing, right? And yeah, if you're trying to sell a, a glass, it's a glass, right? And you go, well, it's, it's it's seventeen pence, you know, it's whatever. But you say, ah, imagine, you know, on a hot day and you've been in the garden just doing and planting some strawberries, and 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 you're sweating because you've been digging the plants, and 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 someone just pours you in this beautiful glass a lovely cold beer, and suddenly people want it because. Mm you've created the picture around, it's still a 17p glass, right? But now it's worth so much more because of the story you've built around it. And people can see, can envisage using your glass, not anyone's glass, your glass, because the words have come from you. So, mm -hmm. so I think, you know, rather than sort of focusing too much on the literal dynamic of like trying to get a deal, it's it's understanding where people's kind of emotional buttons are 
Um, and you do that through this engagement, through the kind of, through creating that VPN of trust and then, and then telling the stories that they hook onto. Yeah. I love that story. I, I find it's, it's, um, in some of the training I do, Mike, I use a, an old sketch from Reservoir Dogs and there's a, a Tim Roth a sketch where he spends about six, seven minutes and he's learning the story to go undercover and he's literally got a script, uh, really, and his boss is saying to him, you've just got to learn it. You've got to live and breathe the story and they do it beautifully and you end up with him telling the story but actually you see on the screen the, the made-up story happening and I use it often with sales teams and I love the way you went into storytelling mode there because I often find people fall into the trap of, I'm describing a case study. And I say, no, 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 the case study is your raw material. And then you make a script and you take it and you just did it there, probably even without <laughs> you're thinking of, you know, imagine you're in a you know, hot garden. It's like, you need to take people there. And even in this recording, you know, my mind went to that warm weather <laughs> and that garden. And there's something magical when you tell stories uh, to people. And I think you're right for, for SMEs or anybody, tell stories and, and open conversations rather than trying to worry about closing sales. Yes. And, and, and look, I mean, I, I kind of alluded to it, to it earlier, but I, I can't think of, you know, I, someone phoned me up the other day and just said, um, you know, I've got a, a, I've got this SPAC in, in the UK and um, I need a non-exec director. And I said, well, first of all, how are you? I haven't heard from you for 12 yeah. years, you know, <laughs> well, my mind immediately went to you and could you be my non-exec? And so, so, you know, these, these circles of conversations, they don't have to always get a result then. Right. And because sometimes, you know, your, your, you know, your product, your solution isn't perfect for that end. But that's OK, because mm -hmm. at some point, if you've built that trust, people will come back to you because of the trust, not necessarily because of the product. Now, and they may be going like, what are you doing now? You know, yeah. can, I, can I hear what you're selling now? Because I like, you know, generally, I like the fact that you don't sell to me. You know, you try and find solutions for me. So, so I think, you know, conversations is where it starts. So conversations build relationships, build trust, build engagement and transactions. But yeah. it all starts with conversations. Yeah. Okay, question for you now. Staying on sales, <laughs> on the, the, the sales process and the sales skills. I think, again, something that I see often happening in SMEs, um, actually thinking back to my wife's company. Wife, my wife and I used to share an office uh, way back, and <laughs> she was brilliant at sales. And she, a typical entrepreneur, you know, talking to clients about this thing she set up. And she asked me at one stage to do sales training with her. And I said, absolutely no chance. Uh, one reason that the husband-wife thing, but the second reason, you're really, really good at it. And so my first thing in all training and all consultancy is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So just keep doing what you're doing. But where I'm going with this is partly, um, and then so the challenge are going to be if you wanted to scale a sales team, because you have an idiosyncratic way of selling that works for you and I think can often work for founders and it might then be difficult to teach other people to train, train people to sell in your way. Now, I know there's an element of your career um, where I think it's even on your website, you use the word maverick, and you're known as a maverick, so you have doing things differently, an individuality yeah. um, to it. So it's not so much about how you did it. Where, where do you stand on that balance of uh, an entrepreneur having their way of selling and then being able to do that next bit of them being able to grow a team of people doing it? I think there's a few... Um... There's a few things the, the, the first is allowing, allowing people to fail, right? Because, and you know, there's a hundred things you can, hundred quotes you can read about this, but, but, you know, in, in our house, the, you know, there's no failure and there's no mistake with the kids. There's always, you know, I, there's, there's getting it right and there's learning. Right. And, and, 
and and you know i read a quote once it was like fail, failure is simply the experience you get until you get it right right and and it's a journey success isn't a destination it's a journey so so on that way and and actually one of the guys that taught me how to sell, which was um, the singer Brian Adams's cousin, believe it or not, um, which is another story. But and, and, he, and he gave me a story. He said, look, imagine imagine this. First of all, people are going to want to sell, uh, want to buy things from these people they trust. And trust often comes from positivity. Right. If you're com- constantly being negative and everything else, people don't want to be associated with you. They don't want to be around you. So first of all, you've got to be positive. You've got to be like in the moment. You've got to say, hi, you know, I am I'm here and I'm, you know. And he said, imagine, you know, you're a broom salesman and st- st- you've been selling brooms. Your company's been selling brooms as a family company for 150 years. And so you've got all the data and, and statistically, you know that, you know, typically you sell a broom every hundred houses you knock on the door of statistically right so then you come across a, a row of 100 terraced houses and you decide i'm going to start here and you know knock 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 open the door and you already in advance you know right that that 90 95 of those are already going to have brooms four of them are not going to be in when you when you knock on the door they may or may not have brooms, and then one of them's going to buy you know that's how, how it's going to happen right and and you knock on the first door someone says no i've got one of them slams it in your face and you do that for six seven, eight, nine, ten times, and you start to get demoralized. Well, actually, he said, you know, what you should be doing is saying, statistically, I know my numbers. So every time I get a no, I should be going, yes, because I'm one step closer to my sale. Right. So even in the concept of what we could perceive as failure, right, it is actually success in a different word. So allowing people around us, teaching them that it's okay to fail because success is a journey. Now, what you're doing is learning. What you're doing is learning about yourself as well. You know, if after 15 of those no's, you're knocking on the door and going, oh, all right, don't tell me you haven't got one. Or you don't want one, you know, and, and then immediately you basically you're doing their job for them, right? So, you know, the part of it is learning about yourself. Part of it is how do you stand up as a human being to that concept, right? Mm-hmm. And most successful people in life. In, in, regardless of whether it's commercial environments and business or whether it's in, in personal environments are the ones not, you know, Darwin didn't say the fastest or the fittest or the, 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 the biggest or the strongest survive. He said the most adaptable are the ones that survive, right? Which is why we don't have dinosaurs, but we have humans that communicate and can, can think outside the box and they, and they, and they take hardship and adversity and they turn it to their advantage. That's success. That's success. And then it doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether it's sales or anything. If you use that concept, whatever happens to you is positive, right? Then you will be infinitely better next time. Yeah. I love the association piece around positivity because I think so often where I often talk in sales about, about likability and, and likability does matter. And I think does. For, for various reasons, I think one element is it's the, a, a, a building block towards trust. And it's, you know, you can trust people you don't like, but it's it's much more difficult, much more yeah. to like them first and then go on to, to trust them. And um, as you might well know, social scientists have broken likability into five factors. And one of those is association. We like people with whom we associate positive things. And yeah. if every time you see Mike, he's got a story, he's got a joke, he's got a smile, whatever yeah. it might be, genuinely makes a difference in the way you welcome. And we all have people in our life that are like that. And perhaps sometimes we have people in our life who are not like that and you're, 
your eyes roll as you, oh, you wouldn't believe what's happened to me this week. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, what I probably would. But that that matters. And I think the tough, I'm always reminded almost every spring when when we all start smiling more and the shoulders go back and people are out in London a bit more. And people, oh, I love sales when the, the sun's shining and the leads are strong. And it's like, everyone loves it then. <laughs> yes. but are you still in the job after, <laughs> you know, a really tough run of going and going yeah. and going? Uh, and, and that's when you make your money. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's the thing that differentiates you is, you know, it's the delta that's the value, not the absolute. Because if it's always sunny in a place, right, people long for the rain, you know, and if it's always rainy, people long for the sun. So it's the delta that, that's the key. So when everyone's doing well, great. But when when everyone's not doing well, you can be positive and you can be shining. You really make a difference. Really. Yeah. Great. Listen, I wanted to move on to motivation. That was a big part of, of okay. what I read about you when, when I was first introduced to you some time ago. Um, and it's a big part of, of what you've written about and, and stuff that you believe around motivation and so on. So again, forgive the simplistic nature of the first question around this, uh, Mike, you know, for growing a company, for leading a company uh, to, to, sustain, to you know, big and significant and sustainable growth, how important is the motivation piece around the person doing it, as in their own motivation and their ability to motivate a team. Yeah, I think I think the team, you know, first of all, you know, you, you ideally you're surrounding yourself with the most, the the best quality, the most positive people you can you can afford and you can find, right? So they're there, sitting there, open. They're they're like sponges for your attitude, right? And you know. I, I like to surround myself as, as you were kind of saying, I like to surround myself with people that have the same attitude, that have a positive attitude because those things rub off. And when you surround yourself with people, with negative attitude, you become negative as well. Mm. Well, same in a, in a, in an environment with a leader and, and other people, you, you start with these great people. And if you're not motivated, if you're not being positive, that rubs off on them. Okay. And similarly, if you are super positive, you're you know really excited and everything else, that's going to rub off on them as well, right? So it everything starts from the top and it comes down. And you know, I I think the I think it was Ralph Nader, the the, the US politician, said something like, you know, the, the the main job of a leader is simply to create more leaders. Right. So so you want when we're all, we can all be leaders of our of ourselves, you know, we have a responsibility in our family environments. You know, we, we, we can be leaders of many things within our own lives. Forget the kind of business of whether you lead a team or a company or anything. I, I think acting like a leader is, is simply imparting both the vision, but also the infectious qualities of optimism and positivity. Mm. So you've got to have those. You've, and, you know, we, I don't know if you follow cricket, but, you know, everyone's talking now about Joe Root being, you know, he's one more tests for England than any other English um, captain, but they're saying his motivation's gone. And his motivation is a key element to England winning or not winning the, the game um, because it's everybody's attitude hangs off that. Mm. So, and, and, you know, it, it, the leader has to have the right attitude, has to have it. Yeah. And to your question, yes, I'm a massive cricket fan. <laughs> um, it's, it's the only time I've really become a fan. So I follow lots of sports so for England cricket. You know, it does get me a little bit down when, when we struggle, which is proper fandom. Whereas other sport, I, I just enjoy watching it. Well, I, th I think there's a di it, it, there's a difference, isn't there, when you know you're going to kind of lose. You, you know you're not the best team. 
Mm. And you give a good fight with great spirit and you think, yeah, okay. Or, or you massively underperform, right? And you should have won and you just didn't turn up on the day. And that is often from attitude. The skills aren't, aren't any different. Mm. The skills of whether you, you know, whether England in the rugby beats South Africa, you know, New Zealand in the semi and then loses to South Africa in the final, you know, it, the skill sets are the same. It's how you, t- it's the mentality of the day you turn up, you know, almost all of it is is about how you think about things what approach you have how you how that first setback that first you know penalty that first yellow card the first you know catch catch behind in the slips how's that going to affect the rest of that day and how will you let it affect the rest mm. of that day right and again very often i tell the kids you know they, they sort of when they were little they were arguing amongst each other and it's like, she made me feel bad or so you know and it's like well no like she may have done something but you're the one that allows yourself to feel bad it's not that person making you feel bad they can do things it's how you react to it is whether you are unhappy or happy mm. right and disjointing yourself from the outside world of which you have no control over and the inside world of you that you have all the control over is really really important to maintaining that positivity both in front of a, a potential um, client, but also, as you said, as a leader of your team. Mm. Things can happen around there, around you, but you don't have to m- allow that to bring you down. You have to look at it saying, ha-ha, how do we take that and turn it to our positive? Yeah. And staying with that thing, staying on motivation uh, and not, not hanging it all on Joe Root and England cricket, but <laughs> one of the challenges, I'm guessing for someone like Joe, um, and also happens to people in business, is sustaining it over quite a long time. So often when I go into companies and, you know, I go in and give a speech there or do a program and I often say to their leadership, um, I hope it went well, I hope they liked it and it was effective and so on. So, but I've done the easy bit. It's easy bit to come in and do this bit, all right, where you set some parameters out and, and give people some, some hooks. It's the day-in, day-out challenge of of keeping things going and yeah. if you look at typical back to the cricket typically a captain will do four or five years i think by then they're absolutely exhausted yeah. uh, as well um but i know you obviously were um you did what you did for a sustained period of time um do you have any tips for for keeping people I, I get the angle of employing people already motivated i get the angle of being positive around them but you have any tips tricks ideas that you brought in in your leadership to keep the motivation going so i i talk a bit about this in my first book forget strategy get results but i i used to i brought this um yogi from from india um lovely chap called jagdish parikh into the management team so every 6 months or so we'd have an offsite but one of our well, we'd have many offsites probably once a month um but every 6 months we'd have um a few hours with jagdish and he would teach, he would say exactly the same things. This is over probably 10, 15 years of doing this with the same, same management team. He would say the same thing every six months. And of course, it made such a difference because you forget mm. or you become lazy, you know, because the discipline you have to adopt to maintain that approach is hard sometimes, right? It's, you know, he, he would, he would, he would teach you how to self-hypnotize. Now that sounds a bit geeky but but what it means is to be able to stand outside of yourself now i'll give you an example of this right when you're in an argument with someone and this is kind of you can get into this in sales right you kind of yes but you know you know and all this sort of stuff and and he he, he says if if you're looking at two people having that argument you go like 
you know, you're like two children. You're so ridiculous, you know, and, and we're great at third party <laughs> people looking like children, right? Yeah. And yet we're in it, we can't see it and we don't want to see it. And, and the only child is the other person that we're arguing with, right? So, so, so being able to stand outside of yourself in an environment, right, allows you to think in a more logical way about your attitude. And then you'd say, okay, the next part of this is you have to almost like have an internal reset. And for me, it was, um, I, you could st- you can start to sense when the moment is that you you kind of lose control. Mm. There's certain triggers that people have. Some people their knee starts wobbling, and you know, and some people tap on the table, and you know. But once you find that trigger, then you can deactivate it. So you can. So I, I used to just lean back in my chair like that and go. All right, so um, let's just recap what we have here, right? So, you know, you're saying this, I'm saying that. Let's let's just think about a different way of, of approaching this. So it allows you just to kind of break. Now, life is like that as well. You know, we end up getting tied into, you know, because there are many things that can, can weigh on us in life. And then every output we have, whether that's at home with our kids, whether that's in, in the sales team, right? Every one of these outputs are affected by all those variables that are incoming, right? And they shouldn't be because that person doesn't need your crap, right? He wants that good thing that you normally put out, that positivity and all that stuff. And that's what he needs today. And actually what you're doing is the opposite. You're just taking all that stuff from your head and go out. So you've got to be able to disconnect as a leader more than any other thing, but as 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 a parent, you know, as a friend, all these things, you have a responsibility to the person in front of you to not load them with whatever's weighing you down. Mm. So finding ways to disconnect the pressures from the output is really, really important. And we forget it regularly. Uh, I say, Mm. my management team used to go, oh, hi, Jagdish, you know, it's only six months. And yet every one of them comes out of there again saying, you know what, half of this, none of it was new. Mm. Just about getting back into into the habit of doing it that way. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm sure it was somebody else who said it to me, but now I've copied them and I say it to make it out to be my own, which is that um, very few of us need telling anything, but we all need reminding. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's true. We all, we all know what's right and wrong inherently, and we all know, you know, what we should and shouldn't do. And, you know, we just sometimes need that as a little whip mm. around the head. Didn't we? Yeah. Interesting point you made there towards the end of the last answer mark around triggers and you, you were talking there about triggers for maybe for confrontations where you find yourself whatever it to be a body language thing or um whatever that might be and i i've become increasingly interested in in, in a, i don't know if there's such a thing as a trigger effect but i was reminded of it reading a book on habits recently by james clear I think we come across it and he talked about things just around fitness so one challenge was he and his wife would get home from work at a similar time and they'd go, want to go for a run and the first two yeah. minutes back at home were really key because if those two minutes they went through to their living room, sitting room and sat down, then the moment they sat down, then they thought about, they have a chat and they'll think about having a drink. And then if they open a bottle of wine, that's it. They're not going for a run. And so the trigger was they put their, their running gear right by the door before they go out. So they walk in, you see the kit, you put the kit, once you put the kit on, you're going for a run. Yeah. Um, and it's a small, simplistic example, maybe, but I I've increasingly noticed how in, in sales training and sales conversations, and I think with leadership conversations, there are certain triggers and you can see people, they suddenly go, and I was interested there, you talked about yourself almost like 
moving back and, and almost physically yeah. moving back and that being a trigger for you chair, yeah. so, mentally move back yeah. and breathe a, a little bit and it feels like often thinking negotiation you know, your first response matters you get your first response wrong it makes the next bit a bit harder and I guess you'd say in the same there there's a trigger where you have to as your leader you find a way to trigger yourself to step out of the argument or uh, the disagreement and, and have a way to to sit above it if you like yeah, and I think I I, do, I I I like the point where you say like okay, if your 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 first sort of engagement doesn't go that well, you know, it feels like you're on a slippery slope. But you can actually reset as well, right? And you could, honesty is so valuable, mm. right? And you like, maybe I just got that. I'm so sorry. Look, look let, let's could we start again? You know, and 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 let, let's just you know. That was a really interesting thing I've learned a bit about you. You've probably learned about me, but, you know, and, and being honest is, again, another way of having that, because all you're trying to do when you engage with someone in sales is just build the trust, right? And so having that self-deprecation of, like, I screwed up there, or, you know, that didn't go how I planned, or, you know, that that admission that that, that something didn't quite go perfectly mm. is actually endearing. Yeah. And there is always a way to, to recoup, right, without feeling that you're on this sort of downhill slope that you can't retract from. Mm. And, and I think the trigger thing as well is, is you know, um, so, so thinking, about, thinking about the consequences, I mean, you know, the, the, the whole kind of, you know, the game of chess that, that is life, right? And that, you know, everything has consequences, right? And so, you know, if you if you know that you're going to meet certain people for an evening and you know that those people enjoy having a drink and you know that you feel obliged generally as an individual to have a drink, then way in advance of that, don't try and fool yourself that I'm going to drive there and drive back. Mm. Just know, you know, play out the evening, right? Play out the scenarios and, and depending on who you're meeting and that, you know, what the situation is, is it a Friday or a Monday? And only you can virtually play out every solution. You, got, like, you know, I'm not going to take the car today because despite the fact of what I probably want to do now, I know how this is going to evolve. Yeah. Right. So it's that having the kind of, you know, seeing the chessboard in front of you of life and trying to work out three or four moves, five moves ahead, how the scenarios are likely to play. And it's, it's remarkable how that actually affects your immediacy, if mm. you can do that. Yeah. yeah. I like you a bit on the, well, all of it, but you said that uh, the beginning of that about recouping thing, you can just go, listen, I got that. Let's, let's just start that yeah. bit again. And I think, a mistake I've, yeah, I think a mistake I've made in the past to try and avoid now is it's not about whether you're right or not. It's about how do you move the conversation forward? And, you know, yeah. when you get into this conversation where, no, I have to prove to you that I'm right and you're, telling, you're thinking the same thing, it, it never ends well. The, the biggest, the biggest um, kind of turnoff for me when I'm speaking to someone and, you know, that this, this happens, you know, occasionally in, in quite a lot in business, but, but in every part of life and people that answer every idea with the problem with that is, mm. right? It just annoys, you know, it's like, Okay, we're we're you know we're brainstorming an idea. So someone comes up and yeah, but the problem with that, oh yeah, but the, it's like well, come up with something yourself. <laughs> Give me an idea. Tell me world is better. You know, it's 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 almost like you know I, I, I I'm I'm very happy to tell you what's wrong with your idea, but I'm not going to stand up and put my head up, up above the pulpit and and 
give something crazy myself because then I'm I'm in the firing line. Mm. And I and I like people to go, okay, let's just take that idea. It, there is a bit of weirdness about it, it right? But how how can we actually turn that into possibility, right? Or why couldn't we do it? Or you know, just a little a, a different attitude on 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 life can can make such a difference in in our ability to succeed you know and surrounding people surround yourself with people that don't have that the problem with that is answer is like massive for me mm. yeah i agree the one one element that also drives me mad about freeze is like that is the assumption at the heart of it is that the current situation is perfect Oh, the problem with that is like we're not looking to change something that's already working, right? But because yeah. you've got used to that thing, you think that that that's the if that's the bar, then that's full of flaws. So yeah. we're, we're not yeah. arguing about which is the uh, most perfect. It's like which is the least imperfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess what well, perfection itself—that's a really good point as well. I mean, you know, none of us are perfect, and we shouldn't be uh, striving for it. Um, I, I know, I know, kind of. Many people, when I did my 40 marathons in 40 days, were saying, like, how on earth do you even contemplate doing that, right? And you go, well, it all starts with one foot in front of the other, right? And so whatever the, whatever your challenge, whatever, you know, the, this immense impossible thing to overcome is, one foot in front of the other. That's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 26, 26, 26 miles, 42 kilometers of, of a marathon, 42,000 steps, well, you've got 41,999 after you've taken your first one, right? So you're on the journey. And remember what we said was success is a journey, not a destination. So every step is successful. Mm. And then suddenly that, that you know massive to overcome objective is just melting away because you're getting on with it. And I think that's key is doing stuff. You know, back in the day, you know, tech companies in particular used to spend years and, and you know, Microsoft would only bring out one version of new software every three years or something and and now you know you get an update on your phone every every week and you don't even notice it Mm. that's because they're constantly fixing the bugs from the last one yeah but it's not like they're waiting for perfection right they're just getting better each time Mm. so it's really important that you know you get out and start doing stuff and then worry about perfection as you as you approach it if you like yeah absolutely on to leadership for the last few minutes, Mike. I mean, you've touched on this a little bit already um, in various different ways, but I still want to start with the, the simple question to begin with. Uh, what is leadership? Well, as I said, um, you know, my opinion of leadership is, is giving people space to allow them to learn via mistakes um, and in so doing, create more leaders, right? Because if if you imagine your business gets to become a 10,000 people business right if you're still a manager you're going to die mm. right so what you're trying to do is each each 10 people that you engage with that you lead have to become you and then more importantly have to tell the next 10 people down to become you or them right and so so what you're doing is you're imparting your vision and that, that's it if you imagine you're in a you're in a sort of a I don't know whatever whatever industry and you you, you surround yourself with the best tech person the best um, HR person the best finance person that you can find then why on earth would you then try and tell them what to do in their own capacity because they're infinitely better than you in their capacity that's why you pick them in the first place so you don't have to tell them what to do but you've got to you've got to give them the direction of travel. 
so that they then can go and be so creative and be their own leaders and go on this journey, maybe switch over here, switch over there. But what you've got to be able to do is trust them. Now, if you don't give them the destination or at least the direction of travel, then they're going to keep coming back to you every five minutes. Is this okay? Shall I do that? You know, uh, I just want to run this past you. Hell no. Why? I don't know. I don't know better than you. That's why I employed you. Mm. Right. You know where we want to get to. So go off and do everything in your power to shivvy it along that way, right? So, so that's the point is creating people and creating an environment where people aren't scared to fail, but understand what direction you're traveling in. And as you get the as the business becomes bigger and bigger, that becomes so important because you can't physically touch mm-hmm. everybody. Right? Yeah. So you need to make mini-me's. And there's uh, an element of giving over control, isn't there? Because yeah. there's that, that challenge of um, you know, I see it often with clients where they, they've you know, all over every detail, and it's like, which is great. You know, I like detail, I'm a fan of it, but you, you can't go from sort of scale that you talked about there, of a relatively small to much bigger, if you're going to be checking every little bit that happens. And, and, and all that tells me, right, is when you're checking every detail, is that you feel uncomfortable or you don't trust an individual that you have in place whose job it should be to do that. Right. So if you don't have the confidence, a.k.a. trust in someone to be able to, to, to impart what you can impart and you've employed them to do a job that specifically isn't your job, then you've either got the wrong person in place or you really need to rethink how how you engage with people. Right. But it's certainly not the, the answer certainly isn't doing their job for them. Mm. And you see that more often. I know you do various different things now, investing and, and getting involved in helping helping companies. And obviously, wouldn't be asking you directly about companies you're working with. But do you see this element, the leadership side, the the confidence, I guess, to give up the control and create other leaders. Do you see that in companies holding back yeah. their growth? And most most uh, most of the reasons, well, most of these situations that I see where that happens is um, actually imposter syndrome from people. So they've somehow managed to get into a position and they feel a little bit exposed that people around them know more about something than they do, right? And they don't, they feel insecure. Mm. Now, I was born in the East End. I didn't, I left school at 16, didn't go to university. You know, I don't advocate that. I mean, my kids have all gone to university, bright as buttons they are. Um, But that's why I want brilliant people around me because I don't know it all, but I do have the knocks of life, right? And my gut feeling is is pretty enriched with errors and, you know, those learnings of getting it wrong, right? So when I see something, I might have a slightly different view of it. But if someone says, ah, no, this is the way we're doing it. And the reason we're doing it this way is because X, Y, Z. Sounds good to me. Mm. You know, I I can impart my opinion, which is based on, you know, when we talk about gut feeling, right? It's simply the experiences that we've received over years has made us look at something and immediately without reference to data or anything else, go, oh, I'm going to go this way. Yeah. And, and, and yet that may well have a value. Also, you know, the world around us evolves all the time. And there's some pretty cool people out there that might actually be able to find an outcome that we couldn't find in that scenario ourselves first time around. So we can apply that gut feeling, but allow the person whose job You've get you know you've just put in that job to do it for a living. Let them make the call. Mm. I think the first time I uh, thought about in detail that the gut feeling thing was probably reading Malcolm Gladwell's Blink 
Booker, I don't know if she was yeah. the first to bring that attention and there's yeah. that angle that we call it a gut feeling, but actually it's our it's our unconscious brain has seen this pattern before. Yeah. And so exactly. you'll have police officers where you've done sort of um, really uh, difficult confrontations and a gut feeling will tell you, but the gut feeling comes from years and years and years of experience. You just, you're just not consciously processing A equals B equals C equals D. And, and I, I fear sometimes that then gut feeling can be um, like betting on the horses or like, like no, that's not... It's almost like there's two different gut feelings, right? There's gut feelings based on patterns we've seen before in in some area of expertise, and then there's just wild hope. Well, I mean, look, you know, ultimately, you know, trusting your instinct, your instinct is built up, as you say, of all these different data points that you've absorbed. Basically, if you go to a computer and type in the details and the data bank comes back, it'll give you the same thing, Mm. right? Only that's able to do it across a myriad of inputs, whereas you are you. So you see things from your angle. So yes, your gut feeling is is probably very powerful given the experiences you've had. However, other people will also have had experiences in the same dynamic. So the best, the bigger gut feeling, if you like, is a is a sort of a collective gut feeling, mm. which gives you even more data points. Yeah. Right. So you know there could have been a very specific set of circumstances around the gut feeling that you have because it happened in that scenario. Mm. Whereas if you can sort of build a team of brilliant people that go on their gut feeling combined and collectively come to that conclusion, you're probably getting you know a much more refined um, answer. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Mike, we've got to wrap up soon, uh, which I don't like to do to you. I know, so you've much got, fun. I know you've got other things to do. So I've, got, <laughs> I've got a few little bits. Uh, last last question to ask all the guests. Yeah. <laughs> um, somebody's listened to this. Let, let's uh, let's say they're turning over between I don't know three million and fifty million a year, and they're looking to scale. They're looking to do that next thing uh, in their business, and um, they're thinking. Let's assume for the sake of this, they're a product or service that works. It's probably going to be a sales or business growth or marketing um, answer to it in some respect. What would be your recommended best first step or first steps on that? Right, we're going to go for this, and we're going to go go for growth. Well, making sure that your salespeople um, tell stories and sell solutions rather than products um, is really important. And and getting yourself, if you're already at sort of 13, 15 million, getting your two top companies to be advocates for you, right? So so going to them and saying, you know, I know you love me because you're my biggest customer. Like, I want you to A, write all the case studies and everything else, but I want you to come and talk to anyone else in your industry, right? That would, would, would be confused as to why you would do it and why they wouldn't do it why you would use me and why on earth are they not, right? So, so using your success, taking advantage of that trust VPN that's been built, mm-hmm. right? And getting them to help you. If the more people, you know, the more troops, you know, the bigger your army of good, good people, you know, good people that say good things about you are, is, the wider the marketing audience can be. Yeah. Great tip. Love it. Right. And then the last bit, um, I'm going to wrap it into like a double question, if I may. I think that I've, I've found in my life, I, I've read some of the best books and, and, and found some of the best people from, from recommendations for other people. And it's almost like for my fiction reading these days, I just go to friends and, and other wider circles. And I think the same in business. There are certain um, times when it's good to go and read something great or listen to somebody good. And so I know you've done quite a lot yourself, but if people are looking for, I don't know, a speaker to go and watch talking about business growth and sales, or they're looking for a book to go and read, um, whatever it might be. Where, if only, and, you know, 
Clearly, I'm happy you plug, it, it, you, plug it, yourself and your yeah. own stuff as well. But well, yeah, but, um, look, I mean, I, 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 having having left school at 16, I don't read that much. But um, but the I would say getting to yes that we mentioned earlier on is really good because it so much of of sales you know, is is misunderstood, and it's like you know, whatever the customer asks for, you almost like agree to, and 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 there's a point where the customer takes the mick, right? And what they're doing really is, is, is they're just asking for everything. And if you keep saying yes, they lose respect. Mm. Either lose respect for you or they lose respect for the, for the service or the product you're selling because they think, well, it's valueless. Or you were taking the mick when you were trying to flog it to me at this price, mm. right? So if it's all about price, then you're going to lose either way, right? And I think getting to yes talks about the negotiation um, sort of journey with with you know that a salesperson can go on with with a with a potential client and it's about this kind of i always like sort of thinking about the five whys right so you know but why are you saying that i do it with the kids all the time like mm. i don't want to go why don't you want to well because it's too why is it too because my, my fear why's your fear well i'm a bit tired why are you tired you know so and then you get to the bottom line it's like well i didn't sleep well last night okay mm. well then go to bed early tomorrow and you'll be you won't have any of that long and then we'll go so you know and having that kind of sort of mentality with the person in front of you with your with your sort of your 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 potential client having that sort of engagement of why because normally when they ask for something that's not what they you know there are other constraints in their life Mm. um you know and really what they want is not what they're asking for and they don't necessarily you know want to or or know how to ask for what they want so so having the conversation and and being able to negotiate a solution with your customer that's what getting to yes is as a book it's really okay. really a good book great i've not read that one i'll look it up i, I, I just thought um, your example sorry roger, go on. roger fisher i think is the roger fisher uh, roger fisher yeah okay. it, yes. and, and i love the, the the five whys that you had there it was like classic objection handling that i find so often everyone wants to solve someone else's problem and knew so much of life the first thing that we highlight as the problem is not the problem it's exactly. a consequence of a bunch of other problems right and until you find that out you're not going to solve it. But the, the another Ralph Nader thing was, um, you know, we always have more problems than we deserve in our own mind, but actually there are more solutions than we care to implement. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I can't believe that 40 odd minutes has uh, run away from us already. Uh, for those listening today, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, then please tell others. And even more importantly, come back for the next episode. I look forward to speaking to you then. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.